Hello, friend, and welcome to Conversations with My Higher Self podcast. This show is about spirituality, higher realms, the mysteries of the universe, and source consciousness. I use hypnosis to get into a deep theta state where I am able to connect to and embody my higher self. What unfolds is a monologue that is dictated by the state of the divine flow as well as any questions I might receive from the human collective consciousness. Enjoy! Hello, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Conversation with My Higher Self. I missed you per usual, no matter how frequently I do this, I still end up missing you. I've also noticed that there's more of you now um, as I started connecting. Um, There are more listeners. I am incredibly excited. I am honored that you join me. Um, Yes, and we have an episode of um, some revelations uh, coming right up and um, some depth, hopefully, and some excitement and fun. Um, This is, you know, where I'm, you know, I'll I'll let you know what the topic is in a second, but... um, Before we dive into today's agenda, today's topic, uh, why don't we, um, you know, just wanted to take care of a couple of um, housekeeping items, if I may. So first and foremost, um, if you guys have been with me for a while, if you've been, you know, enjoying the podcast, um, you know, it would be wonderful if you could find the time to give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I know Spotify has opened it up for reviews right now. Um, Really, um, you know, reviews are extremely helpful as there are a lot of new listeners, a lot of people out there looking for good spiritual content. If you're resonating with what you're hearing, if it feels like a remembrance um, of something that your soul knows, if you're resonating with my message, if I helped you in any way, shape or form, do consider leaving um, a review. It's going to um, help us, um, you know, spread the word um, and get even more people um, into our tribe. So I know I would totally appreciate if you did it. So that's one. Two, if you have bought my book and reached out to me via DMs um, or on my website, uh, thank you so much. First, for buying the book. Um, Second, for reading it, I have gotten so many messages uh, from the people who, you know, literally from the day one, the moment they uh, get the book, specifically for physical books, uh, although an ebook works in similar ways, but with physical books, um, people have been reaching out and telling me that their body starting to vibrate as they get the book and or they get like jolts of energy or hits of energy. Um, and I literally have gotten so many of those. Um, one thing I'll tell you is I am not surprised that you're feeling this way. Yes, um, the book is charged. Uh, that's what you're feeling. You're feeling your own personal um, energy field reacting to the energy field and the ergor of the book. And what you're feeling is the beginning of the recalibration throughout all of your bodies. So your light bodies, um, right? Your um, energy, uh, energetic body, your emotional and your mental. So that's what's happening. And, and hence, you know, the moment literally your hands touch the book, you're starting to feel that. Now, that's just the beginning, right? Uh, that is just baby steps. It's just step one of the transformation that's happening with a book. Uh, like I said, the book um, is going to work with you on 
a very, very deep level is going to be quite transformational for all areas of your life, bring you so much abundance. I have personally charged it. Um, my guides that I work with, um, the higher powers have charged it as well. This is also completely channeled. So there's just a lot of very, very abundant energy in the book. Um, a lot of light codes. So just... Uh, you know, hang in there and watch your life transform. For those of you that don't know, the book is called 72 Keys to Manifestation, an Ancient Path of a Modern Day Alchemist. It's available on Amazon and it's all about, you know, the many ancient keys and the many different universal laws that you could use to build a better life for yourself across, you know, all different um, areas of your life, whether it's health, wealth, you know, you name it. There are, the answers are in the book. So, if you haven't gotten a copy, it's still on Amazon. So there is, a, you still have a chance. Okay, well, that's it for the housekeeping items. We can move forward to the very rich topic of today. You guys know me. Um, I am, I care not about, you know, being A, um, prim and proper. Like in other words, if I have to touch a topic that has been, Let's just say that the way it's represented in the collective um, consciousness for humanity, if I find a topic that I find to be misunderstood, misrepresented, or in general, um, if I feel a topic is lacking depth, I have no qualms, I have no issues with coming out here and telling you exactly how it is. So I found one more topic that I feel called to talk about almost like a myth to dispel. So today we're going to be talking about Kundalini. Today we're going to be talking about um, the energies of Shakti. Um, and we're going to be talking about Kundalini rising. And I will tell you what I think about that <laughs> whole situation. Um, the reason I felt compelled to dispel some myths around it. There is some confusion around Kundalini rising. I'm not going to lie. And I feel that it's time, you guys. It's time for us to start peeling off the layers. I think this is, I mean, a lot of you know that we're walking out of Kali Yuga, which is the period of human history where the information is scarce. Good information is really, really scarce to come by. Um, it is the timing where essentially like the grand winter. Um, if you guys are, you know, thinking about the cycles at all, uh, the cyclicality, the winter is never the time where things grow. This is the time where things kind of go to die. This is the death moment. Um, of the year. And so if you look at the great year or the cosmic year, um, it has a period uh, which is associated with energies of iron um, as opposed to the energies, let's say, of gold or silver, for instance, that are, tend to be uh, the periods within the human history where information is abound, where it's very easy to come across information, uh, especially of spiritual um, realms. Um, and, uh, you know, Right now, we're coming out of Kali Yuga, which is the Iron Age, essentially, which is the the darkness, uh, the period of darkness. Um, it tends to be signified by humanity kind of like losing its way a little bit um, and descending into a lot of confusion as it relates to how the universe works, vibration, energy, all of the above. Now, especially given that we're living on a planet Planet Earth is a very intellectual-based planet. I talk about it all the time in my earlier podcasts, if you want to go back and listen. Um, there, there's been many in the past. I feel like I've literally mentioned that maybe 
in, in 30 different episodes, right? Um, let's just say that in an intellectual-based world that descends into a Kali Yuga into its winter, uh, the situation is quite dire because a lot of this spiritual information actually um, is best perceived either with your third eye, which is essentially your intuitive center, or with your heart space, right? So essentially, neither of these two organs or neither of these two centers are particularly um, high or well-developed within humanity, right? The brain is. Um, so that, you know, one coupled with the other is not necessarily giving us um, a lot of hope. So hence, so what ends up happening during these periods, these iron ages, if you will, is there's a lot of confusion. So a lot of information gets erased. Some information gets rewritten or overridden, right? So essentially, uh, it's kind of like you would take, uh, if, if you had a sentence, right? You would take the first two words of the sentence and the last two words of the sentence. You would take out the very middle and you would copy paste into that sentence, the middle from another sentence. And that is how you get essentially a discombobulated piece of communication that you know, at face value may be grammatically correct, but is missing entirely the whole point of original communication, if that makes sense. So there's a lot of confusion. Uh, and again, everything is cyclical. Everything is mm, operating according to the greater plan of the grand architect and source energy. So this is not, you know, the apocalypse. And I, I'm specifically referring to the cyclicality of it, right? Like it's it's a normal, it's kind of like, you know, work as usual. Like it's it's normal to have the ebbs and flows, the ups and the downs, the golden ages and the iron ages. It's completely fine. Now, um, as we're walking into the age of Aquarius, um, we are walking, we're starting to walk into the golden age. And you'd see a lot of folks in spiritual circles refer to it as the golden age. Essentially what that means is a lot of things start coming to light. Um, so we are going through... Um, essentially the beginning of spring in terms of uh, the seasons right now, or if we're thinking about uh, the time of day, it's going to be the first few moments of dawn, right? Where the sun is starting to kind of like come up on the horizon and all of these like little rays are greeting humanity. And all of a sudden there is an influx of a lot of information out of nowhere, seemingly out of nowhere that's um, that's coming to the surface. Now, I don't necessarily see a lot of people touching Kundalini yet, um, that is not something that's kind of a little bit maybe uncharted territory, but because I am going to be working a lot with energies of the divine mother, and I already mentioned that this is part of my journey here as an incarnated soul. Um, this is part of the energies that I want to help bring closer to you guys. I am a firm believer that if we are to get ourselves into a more balanced situation as a society, as a planet, as a species, we need to start activating those highly potent divine feminine energies um, so that it can balance out our inherent masculinity so that we can hopefully get into some type of equilibrium and hopefully we can get there fast. And I could not find a better topic for today than talking about Kundalini. Now, uh, depending on, you know, what you practice, um, you know, what your spiritual practices, you, you know, you may or may not have heard of Kundalini. Hopefully you have. I mean, that's pretty basic, right? So like everybody's kind of has kind of heard of Kundalini rising, right? Uh, and it's, you know, supposedly some energy that lives in your muladhara, essentially your root chakra, right? That's supposed to coil up like a snake and rise up. Um, and go through from the root chakra to your crown center, right? 
and essentially culminate over there um, in, in that center. And then essentially, essentially, if you know, if you follow down the Hindu tradition, there's also um, it kind of like really does activate your it's supposed to activate your crown center. Um, and then um, within that crown center, there's almost like a vessel or like a chalice uh, where if everything, you know, all things created equal um, and if, if, if the right, let's say like the, the right alchemy happens in your body, right, then in your top chakra, um, in, in your crown center, there would be an accumulation of um, essentially the elixir of immortality, what they call Amrita, and that Amrita is going to start essentially flowing down like a waterfall down your body through, you know, your, um, you know, essentially all of your bodily organs, and that's going to give you eternal life. So that is kind of like, I mean, maybe maybe that's taking it a little bit too far uh, in, into the, the, the area of myth and legend, but... Um, that, that's kind of like essentially this, the, the full story of Kundalini. Kundalini is in, in the Hindu tradition, exceptionally connected to the energies of Shakti. Shakti are the energies of the Divine Mother. Uh, in my terminology, Divine Mother or, you know, Divine Feminine, um, however you want to call it, right? So essentially, Shakti equals Divine uh, divine Feminine, the feminine face of God, or essentially the, the goddess energy, right? So that's um, the entirety of feminine spectrum is Shakti. Right now, um, so it's essentially right in in Hindu tradition, it is believed that by raising Kundalini or allowing your Kundalini to rise, you are essentially rising Shakti within your body, right? Or you're allowing your divine feminine to kind of reign supreme in your body, activate all of your chakras, and that is exactly what activates uh, Amrita. Um, now, you know, this, this, let's just say that this, this knowledge is, is, is getting, you know, it's, 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 I don't want to call it old, but I kind of want to call it old. This, this knowledge is pretty old. It's pretty ancient knowledge. Um, the Kundalini rising is not a new concept for humanity. Now, arguably, um, it used to be better understood because, again, right now we're coming out of the winter phase, right? So everything has been twisted, uh, deleted, removed, concealed, you name it. So n nothing is really um, either very obvious or very well explained in, in the field of spirituality. Um, so a there are a lot of people in the Hindu tradition that are teaching Kundalini rising, um, through breath work practices, through yoga, um, and, you know, various other energetic practices, meditation, you name it. And it is one of those things that um, most people have not experienced. Even the people that are, you know, going through the Kundalini awakening, um, they don't always know that they are. Um, I, of, I often find that there is some confusion around what is and is not Kundalini awakening. Um, sometimes people feel like, you know, I don't know if you're on a spiritual journey, out of all of a sudden you're experiencing high fever, they think it's Kundalini arising, which is not always the case. Um, in other words, I find that there is A, a lot of confusion around this, B, there is a lot of dogma, actually, specifically in, 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 in the Hindu tradition around what it means to rise kundalini um, and how to do it. Now, not for nothing, um, anytime you're trying to encapsulate 
a fairly complex process by not fully explaining it the right way, uh, you get a lot of dogma, right? Um, what I mean by that is anytime a fairly complex process, especially if it's an energetic practice, is attempted to be broken into smaller pieces that are very easy for everybody to understand, what happens is the lost in translation situation, right? Um, I wanted to maybe kind of like, and why don't we actually start with the fact that um, I'm trying to figure out how far I want to take this. Um, in certain earlier episodes, um, I believe I talked about gods and, and, and goddesses, right? So um, every ancient civilization um, has had a pantheon of gods, or most, most did, uh, or deities of some sort, right? Whether that is a monotheistic religion, um, such as, you know, the Jewish tradition, um, Abrahamic religions, uh, or, you know, full pantheons, whether we're taking Nordics, whether we're taking Egyptian, whether we're taking Hindu, right? So if you look at those entities that became essentially gods, um, most of them were actually extraterrestrials. They came here with special abilities, with certain abilities open, and they were able to bring forth certain energies, right? Now, some of them, you know, not all of them were extraterrestrials. Some of them were also people just born into, like humans, essentially born into the Homo sapiens species. But they had souls that were so evolved that essentially it's, it's kind of like, I don't know, um, if you're in 10th grade um, as a soul, um, and you would go to the first grade, right? Like you would take like a big pay cut, so to say, or you would you would go too much downstream, right? Um, so essentially, it would be like a very, very high frequency soul, very, very old soul, for the lack of a better word, although I don't really like referring to these souls as old, because your pace of evolution has nothing to do with your quote-unquote age as a soul, right? Some souls just move faster and other souls move slower. There's it, It's just like a... a unfortunately, reality. Um, so when those evolved souls incarnate into this very third dimensional, kind of almost like oversimplified shells, um, they tend to exhibit abilities that are not very common to humanity. Not only that, but they also come with a certain level of understanding of universal laws, right, that are so innate and like a memory to them, that, and so inherent that, again, they come across as almost alien or foreign, right? The reason I'm telling you all this is let's let's get back to the Kundalini situation. And I haven't explained to you uh, kind of like what I feel is wrong with this right now. I was just trying to just like cover the basis, right? But essentially, initially, the whole concept of Kundalini rising came from this goddess Parvati, who was the wife of Shiva. And she was... Um, one of those evolved souls um, incarnated on this planet. Um, she was one of the protégés, one of the apprentices of the Divine Mother. Again, Divine Mother is the female face of God, right? Or the female aspect of Source, if that makes it any easier. So uh, Parvati um, understood, right? She was a very evolved soul. She came here on the mission guided by a Divine Mother. 
she understood many different aspects of Divine Mother. She represented a particular range of those aspects herself, right? So what do I mean by the apprentice of the Divine Mother? Divine Mother as the consciousness, source consciousness, at any point in time would be curating a certain number of souls. That number varies depending on the timing or the time. Um, she would be curating them personally because she's grooming them, right, for certain, let's say, spots within the spiritual hierarchy, or she's curating these souls because they show um, an unusual amount of promise. So the higher self of Parvati was one of those souls. And so she incarnated here on a mission from Divine Mother. And one of the things that Parvati did, uh, among just being, you know, outside of just being, a, you know, uh, the goddess, essentially, she was, you know, perceived to be the goddess. Um, she worked a lot with the energies of the Divine Mother. And, by the way, she worked with, a, like, a fa fairly big range of those energies. And one of the energies that she worked with was the energy of the serpent or the energy of the snake, right? One of the aspects of Divine Mother. And... Um, the first Kundalini rising was actually Shakti. Sorry. Uh, yeah, it was like the Shakti rising in her body, but it was Parvati working with the energies of the Divine Mother and rising the energies of the Divine Mother from her root chakra to her crown chakra, right? So essentially, it was just the practice that Parvati had or did um, as part of her arsenal or as, 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 as like an incarnated soul. So that is kind of like where it started, right? And then, of course, she had, you know, followers and people who worshipped her, Parvati did. And they, you know, there were also records made of, of this happening. And so it became a thing that, like, rising Kundalini or rising the serpent, essentially inside of your body, became synonymous to rising the energies of the divine feminine within you, right? And then time went by, and as they like to say, you know, reality became myth and myth became legend. And then you, you know, essentially a lot of what once was, a lot of the original, not just the practice of Parvati, but the philosophy and how she lived and what she stood for, but even more importantly, what she knew to be true and what she understood about the universal wisdom and how the universe worked in general. Like, a lot of that was gone. A lot of that was erased, right? Because it's very hard for humanity to understand a deity, it's very hard for humanity to understand, let's say, an extraterrestrial that is three levels above them, right? They can try to approximate certain behaviors of that deity. They can kind of like be like try to imitate them or like when in Rome do as the Romans, but they don't always know where stuff is coming from. So what I'm trying to say is anytime a less evolved being is going to observe a, a much more evolved being, they don't ever understand the why. They tend to understand the what and the how a little bit. But they, uh, they kind of don't understand the why. And because they don't understand the why, and they don't always, by the way, fully even understand the what either. They tend to mostly... So um, let me just rewind back. They mostly understand the how. 
because the how at least can be recorded. The how is step one, step two, step three. How do you get there, right? Um, the what becomes a little bit harder for them. Like in this example of Kundalini, they understood the how. They're like, okay, the how is the process. There is some serpent that lives somewhere in the base of somebody's spine, arguably, right? Or at least Parvati says so. And you're supposed to rise it from root to through blah, 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 all these chakras up to the, um, up to the crown. This is the, uh, the how, right? So they recorded the how. They attempted to record the what as well, which is like, there's some serpent. Uh, what is the serpent? What does it represent? Oh, you know, it represents divine feminine, blah, blah, blah. They certainly didn't understand the why, like why the heck she was doing it right? And that is how you start getting a very poor dogmatic translation of what once was. What would be like a good example of what happened? Imagine you are, I don't know, flying on a plane. And as part of that, somehow you get into a desert island with a group of indigenous people. And let's, let's pretend that there is an island that is still undiscovered on planet Earth, which is not the case. But if, if there was, right? And imagine your plane landed on that remote island with these indigenous people that are, you know, they don't have technology. They don't know an airplane from a bird. And they're still kind of, you know, just compared to like what a traditional, I don't know, what like a contemporary human would think, like with the internet and everything, like they they would feel very um, un- underdeveloped, right? Uh, which again, uh, take that with a grain of salt. Um, so imagine this tribe of people looking at an airplane or say they, they had a tour, right? And they noticed that they would walk in, all these people are sitting down in their chairs and they're all buckled up right? And now, of course, the indigenous person, this tribal, the, those tribal people don't understand that in order to fly an airplane, you know, there needs to be an engine and there needs to be fuel and it needs to be built a certain way. And you also have to have a pilot, right? Say they just associate the act of being buckled up in your seat with the act of flying. So imagine because you kind of like flew from the sky, descended from the sky. They may call you a sky god and they may want to try to imitate you by, you know, sitting in a chair and buckling up and trying to meditate on it, hoping that if med- if they meditate long enough, they're going to reach quote unquote nirvana and they're going to start floating up in space or they're going to start, you know, taking off, right? The reason I'm giving you this example is it's exactly what happened with the whole Kundalini situation, right? Uh, Where like a lesser evolved being was watching something that a more highly evolved being, a higher evolved being did, and they recorded it to the best of their ability, but they did not understand the why and they did not understand the what. And they actually even barely understood the how, if that makes sense. And da-da-da-da-da. With all of that, this whole situation got worse because over time, you know, this faulty knowledge was passed down the generational tree, 
And now you have all these, I don't want to call them false prophets, but you have this all kind of like all these people trying to teach your Kundalini awakening, not having the full context, still not understanding the what, and still not understanding the why. And at this point, barely kind of just like, you know, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it, the how has been copy pasted. Thank you so much. At least some something, right? But so much of the original knowledge has been lost that at this point, it, the, you know, it kind of defeats the whole purpose. So I wanted to take the time today to maybe start explaining to you the what and the why so that you would A, be able to be empowered to make your own decisions around what you want to do with this. And if Kundalini rising is something you want to partake in. And we're going to get a little bit of the insider scoop scoop into the Parvati's brain, the brain of this goddess that was once, you know, um, responsible for bringing this knowledge to earth. Because that is definitely missing. That level of understanding is not here. And I think that if we are to, again, start becoming intimately familiar with the femininity within, we must go to the why and the what. And we can just follow through the motions. Because following the motions is going to get us to be like that tribal person that's sitting in an airplane seat, buckling up, hoping they're going to take off. Where in, in actuality they're not because there's no pilot there's no you know um, there is no uh, fuel and by the way the engine may be rusty at this point in time right because it's sitting in the same airplane from 7,000 years ago I'm just saying okay let's start and let's actually talk about the truth what is that energy that Parvati was working with? For that, we're going to need to descend and drop into the base of your spine. But um, there is a place. So what, where I want you to drop is not your root chakra. I want you to drop a level below into the level of your body that I would call the void. So... For that, right, and um, if you have like, a, you know, some clairvoyance uh, or, you know, if your third eye is really active, you're going to be able to follow me along. If not, feel free to like um, imagine the things that I'm going to be telling you. So one of the more important ener- parts of your energy body, right, is your spinal cord because all of your chakras are located against or around along, along your spinal cord. Your spinal cord is the central axis of your body, the central vertical axis of your body. Um, according to the law of correspondences, as above, so below, thank you, one of the main hermetic principles, we know, right, that there are a lot of correspondences or similarities in the outside world. One of the things that I want to refer to at this point in time is the tree of knowledge. Same thing as the tree of Sephiroth in the Kabbalistic tradition. Same thing as the Yggdrasil tree in the Nordic tradition. 
um, there, there are other trees that represent knowledge um, in, in other countries as well. In some um, Asian countries, um, uh, in the Eastern um, you know, philosophical movements as well. So essentially, there is a tree, right, that is the pivotal tree. Uh, and, you know, the tree is kind of like this tree of life is the key, essentially, to how the matrix is set up. Although I don't necessarily want to go there because it's a lot of rich information and I don't want to lose some of you, right? Because we're talking about Kundalini and we're actually talking about rising and raise, rising the feminine energies within, so um, this Yggdrasil tree, for those of you that don't know, um, is the tree where, you know, the god, there is the god Odin, right? Um, the god Odin was the main um, god in the Nordic pantheon. Um, he essentially was the god that is um, the creator of the runes, one of the divination, one of the major divination systems on planet Earth. Uh, but he was... Um, hung or he hung himself on the uh, Yggdrasil tree uh, because he was looking for knowledge um, and um, you know over the course of nine days he downloaded the runes um, and there, I mean the reason I'm, I'm telling you all this is just so we are present to the fact or we become present to the fact that um, each and every one of you has this tree of knowledge inside of your bodies and that is called your spinal cord so the Yggdrasil tree or the tree of Sephiroth is literally, you have access to it within your own body. And it's none other than your spinal cord. This tree of knowledge, right, uh, not only connects you um, to m multiple dimensions, right, because you can travel up that tree, you can travel down that tree. Um, it also enables you to tap into certain universal um, truths, right? Because again, this is an access that gives you um, access, no pun intended, um, to the Akashic Record field as well. So as you're getting into the Akashic Record field, the way you would connect is through centering around this central axis or focusing on that central axis. Now, um, the reason I'm giving you this tree analogy is because I really need you to start feeling into your own body and the resources that it has and what it actually is. So if you were to close your eyes right now for a quick second um, and imagine that your spinal cord was a tree trunk. In fact, the Yggdrasil tree is not just any tree, it's the ash tree, if that is helpful to the ones of you that know what ash trees look like. But it's a mighty tree. Its trunk is really, really large. It's like it's a thick trunk, right? And we're talking energy here, right? So like the thickness of your spine does not really matter because it's a physical aspect. We're talking about the energy aspect because we're going to be um, Kundalini is energy, right? Kundalini rising, we're working with energy field. So one thing you should feel into is your root system, right? So your root system, uh, your roots are very deep. Uh, and they're very wide and they're very numerous. So your personal tree of knowledge, your personal spine has a very sophisticated, very intricate root system, right? Now I want you to drop into the root system of your tree. 
So where the trunk of Yggdrasil, your personal tree, ends is the root chakra, right? So the root chakra is where the stem, where the trunk already begins. I'm trying to get you to go into the root system, so underneath, right? So if we were to go slightly below your root chakra, which is located at the base of your spine, I want you to like, as your eyes are closed, I want you to start feeling into it. Because it is the root system of your tree, it is kind of like the great under. It is the great below the surface, right? So essentially, if you were to drop here, if you were to drop your consciousness here, you would understand that this is the place of the great void. This is the place of darkness. This is the place of um, uh, calmness. Right? There's, it's a very cool place also. Now, when I say darkness, it doesn't mean bad. Not everything that's dark is bad. Not everything that's light is good. We're not trying, we're trying to bypass duality here for a quick second, right? Only, you know, only if you bypass duality would you be able to get access to the entirety of what I'm trying to explain right now. So if you're descending kind of like underground into the root system of your great tree of knowledge, one thing you would notice is that this is a great void. It's like that darkness and you can kind of like float in that darkness almost if you want, if you wanted to. And that darkness, it, it can go as deep as you'd like it to go. Like that depth is actually infinite. And that is the interesting part about this void, about this darkness that you all have access to. Essentially, no matter whether you go to the right, whether you go to the left, to the north, to the south, whether you go, you know, deep within, kind of like start drilling down, this is an infinite space. This space around the root system of your great tree does not have an end to it. It's infinite. And the reason that is in, it is infinite is because it is intrinsically connected to the Divine Mother. So this is the one place in your body that represents the infinity of Divine Mother. If you've heard me talk about the, you know, the genesis of galaxies before in, in, in one of the previous episodes, um, I tend to liken it to the essentially the, the void of the great divine mother or her womb is another way of thinking about it. Uh, or the darkness of the divine mother or antimatter, right? Which is like that rotating void of which everything that has matter stems forward and stems forth. Now, as above, so below, inside of our bodies, in the root system of this great tree that we have, we have full access to the entirety of the consciousness of the Divine Mother. So when Parvati was rising something from the depth of her root chakra, she actually wasn't rising it from the root chakra. Let's start there. She was rising it from this void which is about two inches below your root chakra is when it even starts. So let's start from the fact that when people raise Kundalini, they're not even trying to raise it from the right place. They're going, you guys, to the root chakra. The root chakra of your body is the masculine 
aspect of your body. If we're trying to raise Shakti energy, feminine energies, going to the seat of masculinity is a really poor attempt at making it happen. And that is where the number, you know, we don't even have to go far. This is where your how is incorrect. Because you should not be raising anything from the Muladhara center. There is no femininity or hardly like hardly any femininity in the Muladhara chakra. I hate to say this. Right? And if you knew the what she was trying to do, and also like the if we dug deeper into you know your your internal energy systems, you would have known that the how doesn't make sense, right? But I don't even have to go far. You see, um, that's and that's not my even biggest issue with Kundalini rising. I will tell you that if was if it was up to me, I would completely throw Kundalini out the window. I would not even bother about Kundalini rising. Because I think the last thing, arguably, that this world needs is rising a snake within their body. Um, I think that this species is has enough, if not too much, reptilian DNA in it and too much reptilian knee-jerk reactions that the last thing people on a spiritual journey need is also raising a spiritual snake within their own freaking bodies. So let's talk a little bit about the energy of the snake and what actually happens when Kundalini is rising in your body. Now, you guys all know me. Uh, again, if you've been listening to my episodes about the moon, there was like one or two where I got like really open and, and, and down and dirty about what's happening on planet Earth right now. But this is a planet that is run a lot by, you know, like largely run by reptilians. Um and uh, a reptilian DNA is extremely active. You know, it's it's one of the you know major kind of like adjustments um, that uh, was made to the galactic template DNA. Um, so, in other words, people already have a reptilian brain. Like we don't need to work hard at it. Now, one thing I will tell you is, Parvati was working with the snake archetype and the snake energies. And the snake is a part of the divine mother archetype. So the snake, like every being, right? You know, she is the fullness. She's the full range. She has her good things and she has her bad things. She has her in-between things, right? So when you're working and when you're integrating the spiritual snake, you're going to integrate things like wisdom. You're going to integrate things like speed. You're going to integrate things like... um um, special abilities also. That is what the snake has. She kind of has that um, innate, I don't even call it intuition, uh, but, you know, snakes have their third eye, so to say, like awareness down pat. It's like one of their strongest, strongest qualities. But as you are integrating the energy of the snake, you cannot just integrate the good stuff. You're going to have to take the bad stuff. Like it's all of it, right? Um and so we have to look at what is on the balancing side, what is on the other side of the scales when you're integrating the snake consciousness. When you're integrating the snake consciousness, you're integrating things like being territorial. You're integrating things like survival instinct and survival mode. 
You're integrating things like greed um, and, 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 and chasing wealth, actually. Um, I'm trying to, like, how would I, how would you know that I'm saying what I'm speaking is the truth? Um, um, reptilians and, 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 and dragons are actually not too far apart. Do you guys know that dragons are, or like, they're really famous for, like, um, guarding gold? Like, you don't have to go far. Like, if you guys have read The Hobbit or watched the movies, you know, the Smaug, the dragon, he was, like, guiding all this treasure. It's because um, reptilians are naturally attracted to treasure and accumulation of, of wealth. But the thing is, it's, like, it's it's just the accumulation. They actually don't like spending it, essentially. So it's, it's a little bit like me, 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 and they just want, like, gold for the sake of, of, of having it, not really for the sake of anything else. And um, so when you're integrating the snake, you have, you're inadvertently also integrating this type of attitude in, inside of you, um, inside of um, your body and inside of your centers. Um, so when the snake is rising from your lower chakras to your higher chakras, snake is rewriting on the spirit. It's a spiritual snake we're talking about, not a real one, right? Obviously, duh. Um, just wanted to make that clear. But when an energetic snake is coiling up your tree and she's going chakra by chakra by chakra, and that is exactly like if you're doing Kundalini yoga, what, what have you, like any of those Kundalini raising practices, they're going to take it from chakra to chakra to chakra to chakra, not bypassing anything. Essentially, as the snake goes up your um, your tree, um, your spinal cord, it is going to take over one chakra at a time. And as it takes over a chakra, it rewrites the codes of that chakra with snake consciousness. And then it rewrites another one, that rewrites another one, that rewrites another one. And then it comes up on top, da-da-da, re-emerging at your crown center. Now, the gods of the old, the gods of the old, especially Egyptian, if we're talking about Egyptian gods, they knew how to deal with the snake rising in their body in a way that the snake doesn't enslave them. There is a way to do that where a snake does not essentially treats you as um, as a master. Uh, but in the traditional Kundalini rising, that is not the case. The, the snake is going to treat you as a slave in this type of Kundalini rising. So you're not necessarily going to get the benefit. What you're going to get is essentially full snake consciousness on your spiritual, you know, within your spiritual journey as well, which actually is a dead end because you can only learn and can only go as far as the snake archetype allows you to go, but you cannot stray left, you cannot stray right. That's why it's a very limiting perspective. Going back to my friend Parvati, when Parvati was working, this I'm going to say something that's really critical and really important. When Parvati was working with the energies of the Divine Mother, she was not just working with the snake, you guys. She was working with the entire spectrum of the energies of the Mother. The snake was just one thing that she did, and she didn't do it that often. So imagine, it's like saying that working with Mother, with the Divine Mother, female face of God, is like working with the energies of the snake. Is equivalent to saying that the rainbow consists of only color red 
it's technically very wrong but also maybe right on some level like the rainbow does have color red but obviously it has all these other colors right in the same way that the energy of divine mother has within itself the snake archetype but it has all these other archetypes that have nothing to do with the snake archetype so parvati was working with the full range and that is where we're getting to the the what was she doing actually so what she was doing and the practice that we're all meant to do as humanity that she was really teaching is the practice of first descending into your void descending into that primordial aspect of your body within where anything and everything is in existence and then rising the femininity from that void taking that feminine energy through all of your chakras so that the feminine polarity on the bottom of your tree in the root system can meet up with the masculine polarity at the top of the tree that masculine polarity is white it resides above the crown of your head right so these two polarities can meet up and true equilibrium could be birthed through that equilibrium through that um, oneness or unity the chalice that is located at the top of your head is going to start filling up with amrita or i don't know like you 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 can think of amrita because it, it, it like that liquid is is above and beyond just like um the immortality liquid it is also your spiritual elixir it's something that's going to enable your soul to evolve um so what Again, what Parvati was doing is she was working with the many aspects of the mother, rising them one at a time, integrating them one at a time. And it just happened so that the one that was recorded and not erased was the snake. Mind you, she did thousands of these with the various aspects of the Divine Mother. So, I hate 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 the name kundalini rising because the true essence of what parvati was doing is shakti rising it should be called shakti rising guys not kundalini rising it freaks me out that it's still called kundalini rising and that is probably thanks to uh the kali yuga situation and the fact that everybody's just a lot asleep not a little asleep right so if we are talking about the energy and, and that is the why like why why the heck would we want shakti rising in our body many reasons right shakti rising is us first acknowledging right that we are worthy of being fully connected to our divine mother reason two that we are able to fully integrate and master her energies three that we're willing and able to put those energies to good use in our life and start integrating the two polarities right the great why is integrating the two polarities and arguably you know maybe some of it got got preserved 
But you cannot try, you cannot attempt to take the fullness of masculinity, tie it back to 1% of femininity and pretend you have balance, you guys. Because unless you bring 100% of both, you're not going to have a balanced system. Again, there's nothing wrong with the snake. If you want to work with the energies of the snake, so be it. But it cannot be the only part of Shakti you're going to be rising through your body. Because if that is the only part of Shakti that you're rising through your body, then you're playing straight into the hands of the people who are controlling this planet. Because they want you to stay in snake mentality all day, every day. If they can. For as long as they can. But it's time to evolve, you guys. It's time for the next step. It's time for that leap of faith. So, two things here. What does this mean for us? First, this means is you're going to have to get to know your void. You're going to have to descend two inches below your root chakra into the, into the area, into the space of darkness and start exploring what's in the void. Because, and one of the ways to think about it, you know, because there are like many, many different analogies I could give you about this but once you descend there what do i mean by descend if if it's if you know when i say descend or drop into something if that doesn't make sense to you imagine you're traveling up and down the elevator and the elevator once you reach like uh, say you go down to your roots root chakra and then you want your elevator to go down even more down like one one level below and so when you like you press the button on the elevator to go one level below kind of like minus one it would take you, it would open up the doors into the void. So you walk out into the void. And then what happens? Now, the void may come across to you differently. One of the ways to imagine it is frankly the black ocean. It's like the ocean of darkness or the ocean of blackness. It's not a bad analogy. Now, depending on your relationship with the Divine Mother, depending on your mission on planet Earth and a few other factors, Divine Mother may choose to show you different things. She may choose to work with you differently. It is kind of up to her. And so first things first that I would do if I were you is I would descend into the void and I would meditate for like 30 minutes with the Divine Mother asking her what she has to show me. Asking her what aspects of her body I'm ready to work with. Right? Exploring the terrain exploring the waters, floating up in waters, you know, trying to have a communication and a conversation with the Divine Mother. That is what I would do, right? So that is step one, like cover the basis, is you have to know the root system of your tree of knowledge. Because if you don't understand the roots, you're sure as hell are not going to understand the fruits, the branches, or the leaves of that tree. You just can't. So you have to start with the basics. Right. And that is already like easily like that's available to you. Right. That void, that depth is available to you. By the way, Divine Mother is reaching out, wanting you to start playing with her energies, to start working with her energies. That is her great desire that you do. That's one. Two. I would ask a question. To yourself, what is rising in me, right? 
So let's start reframing Kundalini rising into a Shakti rising. Shakti is just another way for divine feminine. So if we want divine feminine to start rising within us, we have to understand what aspect of the divine mother is, is willing to rise within us. So you would ask yourself a question. What is rising within me? And you will be shown, most likely, or you would get a sign of some sort of what is rising within you. And that is the aspect of Divine Mother you're going to have to rise through your chakras. I'll give you an example. You may ask a question, what is rising in me? And all of a sudden, in your third eye, in your mind's eye, or intuitively, you know it's a butterfly. So you're going to be working with the facet of a butterfly. By the way, if you know, if you, um, A, you, you should ask also, what, what does the butterfly in this case symbolize? Because all of these totem animals, all of these spirit, all of these animals, all of these energies, they're not, you know, they have many facets to them. Nothing is single dimensional, you guys. It's a complex world. That being said, right? It may be a particular aspect of the butterfly that's rising within you, not the entirety of her frequencies, right? So you may ask the universe to tell you what aspect of the butterfly is rising within you. And you should receive the answer. If not, you can always Google the symbology of the symbolism of the butterfly, spiritual symbolism of the butterfly or whatever other animal that they show you. By the way, the energies are not always going to come through as an animal, but I'm just giving you an example, right? So let's say it's the butterfly. And then you're going to have to do the Shakti rising. And we're going to go through the process of Shakti rising in a quick second. But let me maybe just really quickly comment because as I'm scanning the human collective, you guys are really confused because since we spent so much time talking about the snake archetype and now I'm talking to you about the butterfly, all of a sudden enough of you think that it can only be an animal and nothing else. And that could not be further from the truth. Um, what other energies could be rising, you know, in you? as part of the Shakti. It could be a color. It could just be a, an energy of a particular color that's rising in you. Um, it could be a stream of stars or other geometric shapes, like a platonic solid or something, or like a sacred geometry pattern or something. Um, it could be a flower. Like it, it doesn't have to be an animal. It could be a plant, in other words. It could be a crystal. It could be a sound, you guys, right? So in other words, open up your hearts and your minds to the possibility that the divine feminine energies within you could be rising in whatever way, shape, or form they'd like, right? There are many faces. There are, it, it's like there are so many facets to the divine mother. There are more facets to her than the hairs on your head, right? So stop caging her into the box of your expectations, right? Because the whole point of feminine energies is that they should remain uncaged. They are free. They're not the ones that want to be bottled up. They are the ones that want to float freely, right? They are in the flow. So stop constraining them by saying, hey, unless you're a snake, I'm not going to rise you. I'm only interested in a snake. And then Divine Mother is like, what, what if I send you an owl? You don't want an owl. What if I send you a swan? You don't want a swan. Do you know what I mean? 
What if I send you a panther and you don't want a panther? There's like, this world is vast, you guys. It's limitless. The energies are just the same way. There are so many different energies. Why would you only want to be incarnated in one and pretending that this is the means all end all? Or end all be all, whatever the saying is. You catch my drift. Do you know what I mean? The whole point of what Parvati was doing, what she was trying to teach humanity, is to tap into the fullness of the range of the Divine Mother. Not just, don't split one hair off of her head and call it a day. That is not how you get to know anything. Okay, so now that we've addressed that, let's talk about Shakti rising. Shakti rising is the process of first dropping into your void and communicating with that void at a particular point in time. Shakti rising is a process that you could be doing every day. Or whenever you're feeling down. Or whenever you're dealing with something that's really hard. Or whenever you're feeling off kilter, off balance. Or whenever you need a little pick-me-up. Or during any of the portals. One, one, two, two, three, three, eight, eight. Or during any full moon or new moon. Honestly, like, there's not a bad time to do a Shakti rising. Not if you're a guy, not if you're a girl. Yeah, you know what? If you're, I'm getting a lot of feedback from the collective that up until now, somehow you guys thought I was ta only talking about women. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. We are androgynous energy beings, meaning within each of us, there is masculinity and then there is femininity. Within each of us, they need to come into equilibrium. Within each of us, they need to find balance. So no, Shakti rising is for, not just for women. In fact, I urge as many men as possible to rise their Shakti. To get to know their deep void inside. To get to know that creative space of which everything and anything can be birthed. So... The process of Shakti rising first is getting clarity around what needs to rise in you at this point in time, in this moment in time. So that the next lap of your journey, the next part of your journey becomes easier, more seamless, and or potentially even possible, right? Maybe you need to get a major upgrade or a major initiation. Shakti energy can help you with that. Because again, it contains within itself a fairly robust range of energies. So step one, drop into the Shakti, in, into the, your Shakti, which essentially is the void. And ask the universe or ask Shakti, ask the Divine Mother, the question, what is rising in me or what needs to rise in me? Then pay attention to what they're showing you or what needs to rise. If you don't see anything, don't make yourself wrong for not seeing what is rising in you. As long as you see or you feel something is happening, you're on the right track. You cannot get this wrong. And now you would want to imagine that energy leaving the void and starting to rise, 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 rise. And so it starts to go up your spinal cord, 
starting in your root chakra, then sacral, then solar plexus going up. You can imagine it going straight up or you can imagine it coiling around, right? So kind of like a spiral. You can imagine it like a spiral, upward spiral. So it moves around and goes up uh, and up and up in a spiral, right? Through all of your chakras. So it's in the solar plexus. And now another, um, uh, so the spiral keeps coiling, another coil of the spiral. And it goes up to your heart and goes still up to your throat area throat chakra your third eye and then the crown and now in the crown I want you to imagine there is a chalice in your crown or you can also think of it as a pool of energy or a well of some sort right and it's really white and bright in your crown center but whatever is rising in you right I want you to imagine that that thing that energy, that being, whatever that is, right? That shape, crystal, is being dropped into that vessel, into the chalice, into that pool, into that well, whatever that looks like for you. And it's starting to multiply itself there, right? So if there was one, all of a sudden there's 10, 20 million, 3 million, a billion, a trillion, like that energy just keeps like multiplying. The energy of Shakti is one of the most proliferate energies. I mean, it is probably the most proliferate energy, if we're being honest, if we're being real here. Right? So it can multiply into infinity. And so I just want you to feel like that energy is completely filling up that chalice to the brim. And now... You know, if we want to fully integrate that, if we want to fully integrate that, by the way, you would probably want to sit here and just make sure that your chalice is really, truly filled, full, filled with this energy. I want you to imagine that um, there is a lightning strike that comes from the divine masculinity from upstairs, from high above, kind of like a above, um, still above, like from above of your crown center. And I want you to imagine that this lightning strikes in the middle of that chalice. And as it does, that energy of the divine feminine is becoming activated by the fire of the divine masculinity. And this, this energy starting to spill over, you know, and above uh, and kind of like spilling over from that chalice and it's starting to kind of like drip and like pour out of the chalice and it's going to start floating down, down, down your body, filling up all of your organs, all of your tissues, all of your muscles, you know, all of your cells, filling it up with that energy and that vibration, filling it up to the brim and you want to kind of like trace that energy back. You know, kind of like make sure everything in your head area is full, then everything in your throat area is full, and then you kind of like go down your chest, 
your heart space, your hands down, 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 and eventually you would end up with, you know, your feet being full with that energy. And that is how you effectively went through the process of Shakti rising and then Shakti falling, right? Because eventually you want that energy to go back into the void. That is a very natural place for this energy to go back to. But it only is going to happen once that energy has run its course. It's no longer needed in your body. Then it will naturally come back to the void of the roots of your great tree. Not before. Right? That is Shakti rising. That is one step closer to reaching your potential as a being and an emanation of God consciousness, as a projection of God consciousness, right? This is another step on your path to liberation from the chains of this planet and the constraints of the system. This is one more step on your path to solidifying the God consciousness within God and Goddess. That is the why. That is the why. Okay, I wanted to take a couple of questions from the collective on this topic. I know it's a rich topic and we also had to deal with some myths. So thank you for sticking around. Um, I'm ready to take the question from the collective as long as it is on the topic that we discussed today and it serves a greater collective. I'm here to receive. The question is, so I'm afraid to touch the um, snake energies after what you just said, because if, you know, they're going to be my master, <laughs> then I'm not necessarily interested in, in this. So how can I make sure that I don't become enslaved by these energies? So if you actually, great question. Thank you so, so much. Um, the problem with, you know, when you just do Kundalini rising, that gives the snake the supreme reign over your body. Because very often you're only working with the snake energies and essentially you're taking the same energy over and over and over through the same pathway. And so you keep reactivating those energy centers that the snake has been through. So her dominion initially is established as you go through the Kundalini rising the first time. And then every time you re invoke that spirit she goes back and kind of like crawls out of her um you know hole and goes back back straight into your higher chakras right so you keep reinforcing that you keep feeding her that is really that repetition for the most part is what gives the snake the power over you right and the fact that you're completely unaware of the fact that shakti comes in many many different shapes and forms and sizes so the intention really matters and you know right now also the kundalini rising is is it's it's a ritual right it's a ritual that has certain like an understanding within it actually that you are giving your body away to the snake consciousness with shakti rising we have no such understanding not only that but every time you do a shakti rising you're working with a different kind of energy Every time you're working for something that is rising in you today, 
right? What is arising in me today? What is rising in me right now? This gives no being that you work with dominion over you. Because the assumption here is that it is for right now, for what you need in this moment in time. In other words, we're not giving away your body for any other power to take over it. In fact, we're reestablishing your control. It's just in partnership with the Divine Mother, right? In partnership with Shakti. So it's the many faces of her that are rising within you. I mean, the good news is you're 50% Shakti anyway, you guys, right? So what do you have to lose? As long as you don't put yourself into a box and limit yourself to saying, hey, I'm only rising the snake. Also, I'm going to do right by the snake. Snake is, is, you know, one of my spirit animals. I work with the snake a lot, not to mention that me and dragons, I go way back with dragons. And dragons are some of my very, very favorite creatures. So, so nothing that I said in, in this episode is meant to put the snake energy down. That is not what it is all about. Not at all. Snakes are amazing freaking creatures, you guys. But the point I'm trying to make is there are more, there is more to the face of divinity in terms of the feminine aspect of it than the snake. And saying the Divine Mother is the snake is doing Divine Mother a big, big, big injustice, right? So just wanted, wanted to put it out there because, again, there's nothing wrong with a snake. Snake is an incredible totem animal. It's an incredible spirit animal, if you can handle her, that is, right? For my relationship with the snake is that I'm the snake's master, not the other way around. Make no mistake. But when you're taking on the snake energy, very often it either, you know, in other words, what I'm trying to say is the snake is one of those species. It either becomes the master or you're its master. There is no kind of like level playing field. There are a lot of animals that don't require that. Like for instance, the felines don't need to be a master. Like lions or any of that, or even like, I don't know, like birds, they don't need dominion over anyone, you know? In other words, these roles don't need to be established. You know, you can have an eagle or hawk or what have you, spirit animal, and it's not a subordinate relationship. You're not a slave, they're not the master, not the other way. Like there are some animals that could care less who's in charge. The snake is not that way. They're very hierarchical. So they need to know, uh, you know, who's in charge. And if you're not strong enough to be in charge, they're going to be in charge. Now, um, again, the point I was trying to make is not for nothing. But let's say we lived on a different planet. And whoever, for whatever reason, um, the aspect of the Divine Mother that was chosen on that planet would have been, let's say, a spider or, I don't know, a panther. It doesn't really matter. If it was the only single aspect and everybody was doing the spider rising or the panther rising, I would have told them the same exact thing that I told you guys. So again, there's nothing against the snake. What I'm against is the reduction of complexity into so much simplicity that it becomes wrong and incorrect and limiting, if that makes sense. I hope this answers your question. Um, I'll take one more before we break. Anything you wanted to ask about Kundalini or Shakti or anything really related to today's podcast, I'm ready to hear. Uh, 
Um, kind of related to what maybe what we touched upon. Um, the question is from a male, and they're asking me if, because they're a guy, it, the question is, if I'm a guy, does it mean that I have access to less Shakti energies or that I'm going to have a harder time accessing my uh, void within? The answer is that just because you're a guy doesn't really matter. Uh, and I've kind of mentioned that before. The only thing that matters is what you believe. In other words, your world is always going to arrange itself in a way that matches your expectations. That's why it's so, so, so dangerous to settle. Because settling for something means yes, and the universe is going to take it as an opportunity. If you are a man, there's absolutely nothing about the energetic structure of your body that would prevent you or make it any harder for you to work with Shakti energies than a woman compared to a woman, unless you believe that by the virtue of you being a man, somehow it is harder for you to access those energies. If you believe that, then yes, it would be true for you, right? So if you have any of those negative beliefs as a man, that somehow because you came here in a masculine body, that it is harder for you or shameful for you, maybe whatever that emotion is, right? It doesn't just have to be harder. Maybe like, oh, is that like some men are like literally got guys as I'm scanning the collective. Some of you are thinking, is it gay for me to be working with my Shakti? Are you kidding? No, it's not gay for you to be working with your Shakti. At all. Not that there is anything wrong with being gay in the first place. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. In fact, that makes you an evolved being, an evolved soul. I commend you and applaud you and, and others should as well. I'm just saying. So start, start getting rid of that stigma that is partially self-inflicted and partially society-inflicted, right? Unchain yourself. Unchain yourself. You have the void just as deep and just as infinite inside of your bodies, whether you were born a male or female, whether you, whoever you want to identify with, or even if you don't want to identify as a gender, I could care less. Shakti still wants to work with you. And that is the great news. That is the great news, you guys. All right. Well, thank you for sticking around. I hope this made sense to you. I know we went deep. I know we kind of also went broad. I do hope you practice Shakti rising. Shakti rising is one of the most magical things, practices you could be practicing. And again, Divine Mother is here to work with you regardless of what you're going through. Literally anything, like whatever wish you have, whatever you're going through, she can help you. If you're trying to manifest something, she can help you. If you're dealing with a breakup, she can help you. If you're pregnant and scared about giving birth, she can help you. If you're trying to make a good investment so you can retire early, she can help you. Do you know what I mean? She doesn't discriminate. That's the beauty of Shakti. She's all of it. She's the full range. You want to look younger? She can help you. I'm not kidding, you guys. I'm not kidding. You have always had access to this resource within your, your own body. You didn't even know it. You didn't know how to work with it. And the information that was available to you was spotty and, and, and scattered at best. So use and abuse the fact that we're entering into the golden age. And finally, 
finally, you're starting to get access to the decent information that's going to enable you to succeed. I do hope you practice. I do hope you try Shakti Rising at least once. And, I mean, something tells me if you try once, you're probably going to want to do it again and again and again and again. So more power to you. I am so proud of the work you're doing. You are a rock star. Just know that in your hearts of heart, heart, uh, heart of hearts, you got this. I know this. And I will see you in the next episode. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations with My Higher Self podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please visit thisismaria.com for more insights and offerings from Maria and Sergey. It is T-H-I-S-I-S-M-A-R-I-Y-A.com. We hope to see you in future episodes.